Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. This is episode 38 of Developers Eating the World, and my guest today is Yasub, who I tracked down from a really awesome article that you published on the SpaceX launch, the recent launch of Dragon. And the reason I loved your article so much is anytime I watch something like this, I always immediately go to the software side of it. So great article. It got picked up. I think you said Hacker News, but it also got picked up on a, a newsletter I subscribe to called TLDR. Um, so, Yasub, why don't you introduce yourself quickly? Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, my name is Yasub. I am originally from Pakistan. Right now, I'm a rising senior at Colgate University. And over the summer, I'm interning at Microsoft in the Azure Cloud Networking team. Yeah, Azure is really taking off. And I've noticed a lot that Azure DevOps has become super popular. That was one of the hot topics at their build conference that happened a few weeks ago. Yeah. It was also pretty interesting to watch the build conference, how everything was turned live and they were doing continuous runs. And I wasn't really aware that Azure had the biggest data centers, even bigger than AWS. That is something you don't really learn about in day-to-day -day life. You sort of assume that AWS is the bigger one, right. just because you keep hearing so many different companies who are using them. Well, I but wonder if, if that really matters, does size matter? Um, what, if, what if that just means their servers are bigger? <laughs> Did yeah, they, did they say bigger in terms of footprint or or bigger in terms it's of bi it's it's bigger in terms of footprint and also the thing is Microsoft more caters towards enterprise customers. For example, governments, different banks, these are not your typical tech companies, so you don't really hear about them advertising what stack they use. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, if you think of AWS catering more to yeah, they, they they definitely don't cater, but the types of customers, if it's more cloud native applications, they generally are going to have a smaller requirement. Yeah. Yeah. The build conference, they did well. So now that I've been to so many virtual conferences, I've been scrutinizing the success or like how they run the conference. And I really like, I really like GitHub's. Uh, they did really mm -hmm. well. Oh, I, like, I did oh. not see that. Yeah. Well, what was interesting about the GitHub conference and also the build conferences, there's this little uh, tiff going, not a tiff, but you have Azure DevOps, which is extremely powerful. You have GitHub Actions, which are extremely powerful. Yeah. You have, there's kind of this battle between like some people saying they didn't talk oh, about GitHub Actions enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel you. So I, I've been noticing a lot of that. And unfortunately, I'm a fan of both. I'll just go on record saying that. So we'll see. Well, thanks for joining. You know, because I tracked you down due to this article, why don't you tell me a little bit about the article you wrote uh, on Dragon and SpaceX? Yeah, so I am not from the US, so I did not really experience the space race like most Americans have, but I have been following the space news even back in Pakistan. And when I came here, I was 
instantly fascinated by all of these space companies and especially SpaceX. What fascinated me more was not their hardware, but their software, how they were building stuff. Because I could build stuff. Did I have the required knowledge to make a rocket land into go to space or land to Mars? So I started doing some research. It was really hard to come by information. What I ended up doing was I realized if I'm having this trouble finding information, I'm fairly certain a lot of other people also have this problem. And that has basically been the way I have written so many articles and even a book by now that people might be having the same issues. So I started organizing all of this information I was finding about SpaceX into one article. I did not get around to publishing until this launch recently. That was sort of the trigger. The I realized I've been great. putting this off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I realized I've been putting this off and I better get back and publish this. And I did end up publishing it. And thankfully it got picked up by a couple of different amazing companies and amazing new websites. Yeah, it's it, you're absolutely right. Like you start to think about all these amazing things that companies are doing. And you wonder, like, how did how did these teams build this? And it seems like magic, but once you start digging in, you you realize that you know this is this is something I could be a part of in in the future. Well, you, not me. My mentor is also someone who worked in NASA back in the days as a software engineer, but I can't really work there at this point because you need to be an American citizen, which is like a yeah, huge bummer for me. That is a bummer because it's a government organization, but yeah, you can't even like, work for spacex yeah spacex also has these restrictions you need to be an american citizen well keep it up keep on writing the content <laughs> if you want to look at there i mean it's uh it's kind of your site is stand up and i'll i'll share that as well so tell me how long have you been an intern at microsoft so my internship at microsoft hasn't been going on for a long time it actually started in my before that i I'm a full-time student, and yeah, so as soon as school got ended, I joined Microsoft, and I was thankful that the internships did not get canceled at Microsoft. So I have a lot of friends whose internships got canceled, uh-huh. so it was a big okay. relief that, yeah, it was a big relief that mine did not. So, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we actually inducted a big, at Splunk, inducted a big uh, class of interns, and I was, I was very happy to see that, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's that's, uh, that's nice. Yeah. And what brought you to tech? So what was the driver? That's a good question. So have you heard about the game called Club Penguin? No. So Club Penguin was this game made by Disney. It has been sort of the classic version of Club Penguin has sort of been discontinued. There is a version now, but it's not the same anymore. I used to play that game just like every regular 13-year-old, 12-year-old. I wanted to get ahead of my friends in the game. It was it was a virtual simulator game. You had a penguin, you can buy clothing for your penguin, you feed your penguin, you buy pets for your penguin, but the caveat was you need to pay real money to get any of those things. I started searching online on how to buy stuff for your penguin without paying anything. I landed on this really nice software called Penguin Storm, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And using that software, you could buy stuff for your penguin without paying anything. That's hilarious. Perfect. I bought, I clothed my penguin in the most exotic clothing I could find. And I had this other cousin who used to play the same game. 
she was visiting our place one day and I had my laptop turned on. The game was going on. Her laptop was turned on. Her game was going on. We both met virtually in the game and my penguin was naked. That was the biggest disappointment. And I asked myself, like, why is it showing so many clothing on my side? And why is my penguin naked on her side? Yeah, so I started doing some research on why that was happening, how the software works, so that I could fix the bug and make my penguin wear all of these fancy clothing. But as it turns out, I found out more than what I had bargained for. I found out Visual Basic, started making all my own tiny programs. But uh, it's fascinating. Written in Visual Basic, wow. I, yeah, I started with VB6. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> for for someone whose whole tech journey began from Visual Basic, I can't really complain. Yeah, well, I guess necessity is the mother of invention. Although I'm not too sure about your the necessity that you. <laughs> I um similar but different story. When I I started becoming a a developer, I normally say that I learned on Java and C++, but that's not really true, actually. So um, Apple had this thing called HyperCard, mm -hmm. and HyperCard was like PowerPoint on steroids. I still think that I could probably use HyperCard to do things that PowerPoint couldn't do. Mm -hmm. There was a game at the time called Mist. I don't know if you ever heard about it. It was like... A I think I've heard the name, but I've never like really seen what this is. Yeah, so Mist was like developed as a complete hack on top of HyperCard and a whole bunch of Apple script. That's what got me into development. So it was similar. I was I was driven by by a game, tinkering. But I think that the the aptitude was already there, and it was probably there for you as well. So my fascination with tech was only as far as making hacks for games were concerned back in the days, and I did not really plan on taking this forward. I ended up going to the market, buying a book on Visual Basic. I brought that book home. It was like 300 plus pages. And you have to know that by that point, I had no idea what algebra was. That was even before I was introduced to algebra in school. I brought that book, placed it in front of a person who was teaching my cousin how to program for one of his exams. That person supposedly used to work at a software house back in Pakistan. I placed the book flat on the desk in front of him. I asked him, can you teach me this? And he looked at the book, then looked at me, then looked at the book and told me, yes, so you know what? Don't you think you're a bit too young to learn this? Oh, man. You, why don't you wait for some time and then you, you can learn this? That one response fueled me. I was, yeah, I was a teenager and I wanted to prove him wrong. I started devouring the book in my own free time. Halfway through, realized, man, this stuff is going over my head. I need to shift gears. I can copy for loops, but how do these for loops work? And that is how, over time, I got it. And during my research, I had this language called Python kept popping up whenever I would search any video on YouTube on how to make X in Phoebe. There was this how to make X in Python. And I was like, Ah. Who names the serious language a Python? Like, isn't that supposed to be a snake? And well, I gave in to my curiosity and I decided to look at what Python was all about. And that got me hooked. And from there on, the journey was sort of self-fueled and I did not need any external motivating factor to keep going. 
Well, that was going to be one of my big questions is how did you make the leap between VB and uh, Python? Yeah, there were some other languages along the way as well. Like I started learning HTML and JavaScript. And but yeah, Python was always like almost right there from the start. And this is back in 2012, 2013. So what's what's kept you on on Python? What's kept me is the community. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really hard for people to believe that someone who is virtually writing about Python can still feel so connected to the Python community. But I have to say this community has been so welcoming, so generous. It is full of amazing people. Yeah, when I started learning Python, I started writing articles to my blog almost right away. And that is also the reason why my blog got famous as well, because I was writing from the point of view of a beginner and not from an expert who already knew what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. So I would sort of write down the stumbling steps I got over so that other people can relate to those. And the funny thing is mostly when people do searches on Google, they search about errors and not really about oh, yeah. how to do something. Right. <laughs> so it was pretty nice that I was stumbling across those errors and I was explicitly writing about those errors. And whenever someone would search for that error, they would come across the blog. But over the years, the people in the community on Reddit, in conferences, they have given me tremendous feedback my main mentor right now, he's also a really, really big personality in the Python world called Daniel Roy Greenfield. Especially if you work with Django, he has authored the main book on Django called Two Scoops of Django. And his wife right now is the author of one of the biggest female authored Python packages awesome. in, called Cookie Cutter. So yeah, this community has been amazing to me. That's great. And that that has kept me going on. And that says a lot. I think Yeah, uh, yeah. Py Python is is a very dominant language in the face of a lot of new languages with goofy names as you mentioned. I wonder why why do you think Python's so big in machine learning and data science? Syntax is a lot easier to grasp. And at the same yeah. time you can make it a lot performant by writing the underlying bindings and C. And I feel like for I know of a couple of data scientists, actually quite a few of data scientists who think of themselves not really as programmers. So they are trying to keep, make it as easy as possible for them. And it was in Python's favor that Jupyter Notebook also became a thing. So there, it was all written in Python and you could create reproducible testing for your data science workflows in Jupyter Notebooks. So yeah, the whole ecosystem and the tool chain which got developed right next to Python and for data science, yeah, that sort of made sure that Python was right up there. Yeah, I think you're right. The accessibility is there. Data scientists don't often think of themselves as developers, but in the modern world, they, in most cases, they need to start thinking of themselves as developers. When I was product slash marketing for an NLP engine, what I found is that the data scientists, what they love to do was R&D. So the problem, mm. the great thing is that it, it, it produces amazing models and algorithms. The problem is they never want to call anything done. They never want to <laughs> <ship>. <laughs> they, They're like terrified to ship. So I, I do see that that is kind of an interesting evolution because a lot of the models and intelligence that people are building into their applications, I, there's this real consumer demand for it. They got to mm -hmm. get it out the door.
I uh, want to rewind a little bit to what you were saying about your your journey into to development. I mean, your your career path already as a mm-hmm. developer has been impressive. You're interning at um, Microsoft. What did I see about MIT? There was something about MIT. So for MIT, yeah, I have authored a really famous Creative Commons published book. It's about Python programming. It's intermediate Python. And it has been read by a couple million people by now, has been translated into four languages, and is actually used or referenced at a couple of different universities. So that's where it was published. You wrote an amazing article that got picked up, and you have a lot of other amazing articles. One thing I wanted to kind of highlight, and I've noticed in, because I focused a lot on people who have started early in their development Mm -hmm. careers, is that this element of grit now a little bit of it was teenage boy grit so that that is like that you are i don't know if you could actually call it grit but there is this element of like no i'm Mm -hmm. gonna learn this i'm Mm -hmm. gonna figure it out and i'm gonna do a great job of it and you have to kind of continue that through your career i've noticed that as a trend with everybody what else would you say has kind of contributed to your success and journey question i never really had to think about that other than the grit factor you didn't the teenage, teen, teenage angst. Session, yeah. yeah i don't know just keeping at it and sort of learning new uses of the new skills i was learning and giving an outlet to all of this creativity i could come up with that was the biggest fuel for me like i could see that there was no end to what i could get done with this whenever i would do something new using python or any other language for that matter I could sort of instantly see how I could do something slightly different and more fun and challenging with this. That that probably is the other reason why why it helped me and why I was able to keep at it. You can't really get bored when, if you're in tech. Yeah, I think that's true. So yeah. tell me, what what are you most excited about? It doesn't have to be Python, but it can mm-hmm. be Python, like nitty gritty tech. What do you have been most interested in and most excited about? moving forward i am most excited about containerization and the way we deploy websites and deploy services and microservices and all of those things for that matter like kubernetes and the devops other devops frameworks which are out there because when i started making websites and right in the beginning i remember there was a lot of manual configuration which i had to do and it was not easy to replicate that across different servers but if i for some reason have to move the servers there were a lot of manual steps involved so all of that i believe is something which is super exciting for me and this is something that when you learn to code you don't learn like the process development i noticed your june 4th article was exactly on docker attach versus executive (laughs) yeah which is something that i always struggle with and also like you mentioned how there is no end-to-end people don't know how the actual product development and how to launch the product that has actually led me to author my second book which i'm working on right now called practical projects in python it's going to be fun so i it's a shameless plug. There are going to be 10 articles or 10 to 12 articles, and you will go through the whole life cycle from idea to execution. For example, you have an idea for, let's say, make a bot for Instagram or let's say Facebook or Reddit. There are so many other different ideas. Like I, in that book, I cover how to create desktop graphical applications, 
how to make websites, how to make different scripts. So you sort of learn the different, you, you learn Python from the perspective of actually shipping something rather than just learning the basics. Yeah, right. What's like we talked about data science. You have to get stuff out the door, you know. There's a lot of practical elements to that that may not be super exciting because it's not feature development. It was really hard for me to devour different tech books which should not really have a focus on actual products. It's really hard to learn the basics when you are not seeing the actual end result. Making someone go through developing a full product, it actually helps keeping them hooked. Yeah, and I think focusing on outcome. So before we close it out and I do the game that I do with everybody, throwing some terminology at you, um, there's another section of your site on art projects. Tell me a little bit about that. So I've been doing arts as a hobby for a fairly long time. My sister is actually an architect as well. As part of that hobby, I have been working on different kinds of art. I, fun fact, I was actually part of a world record for painting the biggest flag of a country. It was the size of a field hockey stadium and was wow. done as part of a group. And yeah, I've been doing arts and now recently I've gotten interest. Initially, I started with fine arts and traditional studio arts using pen and paper, pencils, colors, markers, stuff like that. And recently I've been interested in doing algorithmic art using processing. So it's really cool how you can do generative art. There's a website which NVIDIA came up with which generates fake people, mm -hmm. fake faces. And the project was I would turn those faces into paintings using impressionistic paint. Uh, I would turn those faces into impressionistic paintings and I would ask the viewer, tell me if this painting is of an actual person or whether this is a fake person. Right. So that was the final project for that class as well. And I think art has, been, art has also fueled my creativity along these years. When I was studying computer science. I did mm -hmm. something similar, but I didn't take it far enough. I think that's part of my challenge is I don't tend to see stuff through completion, but using genetic algorithms both for music and basic artwork. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited with what you're doing there. That's really cool. Yeah, it's also really useful to have a hobby which is not directly related to tech. Sort of for the times when you are super frustrated and you can't figure out why Nginx is not serving your website correctly. It's a lot easier to take a walk and just do a small piece of art that helps free up your mind and it can actually help you figure out why something is happening. I think that's an, just a really critical career advice you just gave. Uh, one of the things I've struggled with personally is tech has kind of gotten, it's become a job. It's kind of gotten boring for me. Yeah. And part yeah. of the reasons I like doing these is it, it helps revitalize that because I hear about stuff new that I hadn't thought about before but i think it's really important to be able to keep it as a passion and not just a job it's really underrated the importance of taking a walk i would say so during this quarantine i've been going on long walks at night for an hour and an hour and a half even two hour long walks i would say that if you're in tech there's a reason why a lot of tech people are marathon runners as well the successful tech people so running and walking it helps you take off your mind from the actual tech problems you're having. And more often than not, you would come up with any tech problem you're having on a walk. And that has happened with me so much. Like just last night, I was having this problem. Like I mentioned in GenX, I was testing a website and it wasn't working fine. I was doing something funky and Nginx was doing something funky and it was really hard for me to pinpoint what was happening. 
I was I sort of thought I tried all solutions and then I went on a walk and I would say it was magic like on the walk I could I start thinking about everything I had done and it just it just came to me like okay I did not try this one thing I came back home later I tried it and it worked yeah it saved me from hours more of debugging for pointless reason yeah none of my creativity has come from sitting at a desk ever so all right well let's get into the the uh terminology game the first one i want to do is actually kind of a comparison how do you view ai versus or in companionship with machine learning what a lot of companies call ai is just machine learning mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't realize a lot of people are afraid that machines can start thinking the way humans do but from first from someone who actually works in tech i can tell you don't need to be as afraid machines are not going to have a thought process of their own anytime soon. Like they can't think of something new on their own. A lot of these companies use AI sort of as a marketing gimmick rather than as an actual thing which they have in their product. It's basically just machine learning and glorified stats. Exactly, that's absolutely true. Okay, next term, stream processing. Uh, Kafka and stuff like that. Yeah. It's fun. One thing I've realized over, over time is a lot of people don't realize they they will be using let's say Kafka for as a stream processing engine, and they won't realize that they can't. They should not use Kafka as a database, but some people do. Ah, right. Yeah. So your stream processing engine should only be a stream processing engine, and you should have a single source of truth, which is not Kafka, because there's also like a retention time limit on how long your events or messages are going to be saved. But yeah, know what you're using rather than just using something which sounds cool. Yeah, the same thing happened in the days, early days of um, in-memory databases and like Redis and so forth. Mm -hmm. People would use key value stores as databases instead of kind of, um, which is my next term, getting closer to the, to the user. So next term, edge computing. Edge computing is fun. I have to say I don't have a lot of knowledge about how it is being done right now. But yeah, Microsoft has been pushing it quite a lot and uh, internally I'm looking at different resources on getting more up to speed. So I don't think I'm at a point where I can safely say anything about that. What do you, what do you think's most exciting about the prospect of edge computing? Just the sort of computational power we will have at our hands and the sort of services this is going to enable, it, let's say for smartphone users or for users who don't have a lot of technical power in their hands. The services that it's going to enable are just amazing. Yeah. And I, I don't know exactly what it is going to enable, but the thing is, in the past, you've, I've realized sometimes that once you have the capability to do something, people can almost certainly come up with how to use that Created. capability. Yeah, and like like uh, streams and, and um, yeah, yeah. stores, they'll probably overuse it in some ways too. Yeah, they, I think uh, all of us are sort of, uh, uh, it's a, edge computing is a, methodology or I guess a design pattern in a technology in the hunt of a real world use cases. Actually, yeah. You wonder what it might do for the blockchain. Yes, there are a lot of things like that. And that also ties in people's concerns about 5G. Yeah. Like a lot of times people, people think about these different use cases. For example, I know people who think that, okay, once you have 5G, you are going to have faster, you could actually do more gaming or like better gaming, like Google Stadia, you might have seen about. Seen yes, anything like I, that. I subscribed for like 
a month. And, and then, then I feel you like I have to pay for all the games that I want. <laughs> There's no point. Yeah, so something like that, something like Google Stadia, and all. Uh, and for a lot of people, think that once you have 5G, you you are going to have better gaming experiences. What they don't realize is that is based on ping and not really about how much data you can push. Like right, right now, we have we have enough bandwidth to play games on our laptops. Right. The main differentiating factor is how what ping you have. For example, your latency causes a big issue. So a lot of times what I would really love for people to do is think about whether this new technology is going to actually solve their problem. You don't have, instead of shoehorning your own problem and not realizing that this new technology doesn't really serve your purpose. Yeah, that is a big issue. That is a lesson that professional developers need to learn, not much less like people coming into their career. That is, and, and I think we said it before we started is simplicity, you know, thinking about simplicity. Yeah. It may not always be fun, but it's also not easy. So it's not, it's not simple to be simple is a interesting thing. A lot of people believe that if you're not using the latest hip technology, you're behind a lot of other people. But I feel like, doing something simple and using basic services to achieve something is sort of also an art in itself and should be thought of as an achievement rather than as something which is pulling you down. Absolutely. Simplicity is an art. Well, this is fantastic. Congratulations. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, career path. Thanks for joining me. I'd love to chat with you next time maybe a little bit more about your penguins and your penguin costumes. <laughs> I have to go look up that game. Yeah, I, I hopefully you're willing to join again in, in you know, eight months or so and, and we can chat about what's next in the space. For sure, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here.